So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's Dartboard Movie Night What's going on everyone? I'm Drew And I'm Jared And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night The podcast where we put 20 movies on a board Throw a dart at it and let the fates decide This week we're covering a movie made by two Dartboard Movie Night alums One of whom we've covered just last week And that also features two other actors we've touched on in the past We're talking Thunderbolt and Lightfoot Michael Cimino's 1974 directorial debut Starring Clint Eastwood, Jeff Bridges, and George Kennedy Lots of Dartboard Movie Night lore (laughs) tied into this one, Jared Yeah, dude, it's deep The roots definitely go deep in this one And uh, I'm excited to chat about this movie I'm really glad we hit it I really didn't know much about it before we got to it But I'm looking forward to this discussion, man, truly it's a classic example of just trust the dart. Just yeah. Let it, let it take us where it wants. Because, I mean, it almost had a mind of its own with, with going with this right after Dirty Harry. Yeah. And how cool is that? I mean, it's only the second time it's ever happened that we've had a back-to-back performer. And the other one was really recent. It was Sam Shepard, I believe, mm-hmm. who was in The Right Stuff and also Days of Heaven. And I would have assumed it would have been a while since we got another back-to-backer, but we got Clint Eastwood coming in on fresh off the heater. Yeah. And I I also really love the fact that we talked about last week in the Dirty Harry episode how you weren't super familiar with his actual on-screen performances. You're you're you were more related to his directing output mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I think it's just cool that we got more of on screen Eastwood this week and kind of we get to see another side of him and continue to feel continue to find out how we feel about him in terms of how he's a movie star and all that sort of stuff yeah no I I mean off the back of this just given how many connections there are to other movies we've covered I put together a spreadsheet that I'm going to kind of track some of these stats you know Mm -hmm. Um, I love that I love that so we've got we've got right now we've got six different actors that have appeared in uh, two different movies we've covered. So it's Clint Eastwood, uh, Jeff Bridges, and George Kennedy from this movie have all been in uh, two movies each. So it's 50% of the six Mm -hmm. are in this one movie. That's awesome. And then we've got uh, Bruce Willis, uh, Humphrey Bogart, and Sam Shepard at the other three. So so we've covered uh, six different actors two times, and we've covered three different directors two times. The other two, uh, besides Michael Cimino, who also directed Heaven's Gate, um, we've got Steven Spielberg with E.T. and Schindler's List, and Mike Nichols with Catch-22 and The Birdcage. Mm. Um, and mm. yeah, Eastwood and Shepard are the only two with back-to-backers. That is just so cool. And I would say all six of those performers you outlined are big dog contenders in my mind. Like they're all great people. Did you mention Jason Robards? Because we had him twice as oh, well, Oh, no, right? you know what? Yeah, I didn't have him on the list, but you're right. Yeah, because he was in All the President's Men and also The Ballad of Cable Hogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, all potential big dogs in my mind. And I cannot believe how this movie is such a crossroads for our show. And there's so many different kind of overlaps and things. It's really cool. I'm really glad you, you pointed that out. Places. Yeah, this movie Just a that, random I mean, fucking movie that I threw on. And we'll yeah, get to how it got on yeah, the board, yeah. but it was pretty fucking random. 
Yeah, and, that's uh, so great. And yeah, it's got all these connections. It's really fun. To recap where we sit currently with the board, at number one, you can count on me. Number two, Akiru. Number three, M. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Pi. Number nine, Universal Soldier. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, this week's episode, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, The Karate Kid. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Titan. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20 the terminator oh beautiful reading beautiful reading is always true and just to do and just to do a quick streaming check it's just pay to rent as far as i can tell at time of recording so usual suspects of amazon prime or apple plus or whatever pay to rent a couple of bucks check it out i would say worthwhile i had a mild like panicky moment uh right after we we hit this one last week just because i was like oh shit, is this going to be another Sling Blade situation where we can't even find it? Because it's not a movie, like I, I brought it up to one of my coworkers the other day um, who is also a, a big movie nerd and he had never heard of it. So like, mm. I, I was like, oh man, I wonder if this like even ha- is available, but it, it's, yeah. it's readily available on iTunes and, and you know, all the, all the typical rental places. Very glad to hear that. Even though it would have been kind of fun for it to be kind of like a sling blade and oh, it would balance the that. scales out. <laughs> I would love some balance so we get rid of this 0.5. But for the sake of the show and the ability of listeners to potentially go out and check this movie out, I'm obviously glad that it is available. For sure. For and sure. also, like your coworker friend, I also had never really heard of this film when you put it on the board. So we did mention this is a Drew Clark choice. Leads me to the question, Drew, what led to you putting this on the board and how'd you find out about this movie in general? So this movie's been on the board since week three of the podcast. Uh, we put it on crazy uh, right after the taking of Pelham 123, actually. Um, oh, that's so, perfect. Yeah, right? That is um, absolutely perfect. And we'll get to why that's perfect. But yeah, it's it's not a movie that I had a ton of awareness of beforehand. I, I maybe had heard about it in passing. Um, I definitely heard about it later in the show when we covered Heaven's Gate because uh, Jeff Bridges brings it up in a couple of interviews I watched, um, being that both movies were directed by uh, Michael Cimino. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, when I put it on the board, I had just watched Starman, which was uh, a Jeff Bridges movie directed by John Carpenter. uh, And he had got an Oscar nomination for that movie. And it was the first Oscar nomination that Bridges had after this movie. And so, you know, just perusing through his IMDb, you know, I, I was looking at all of his Oscar nominations and I saw this movie and I was like, huh, one, that's a great name for a movie, like catchy ass title. Like I just, I want to know who Thunderbolt and Lightfoot are. And number two, it's weird that this movie has this best supporting actor nomination for Bridges um, and, and otherwise seems to kind of have disappeared from, from the cultural conversation. So mm-hmm. I was just like, it, it intrigued me just as, as a name, the, the pairing of Eastwood and Bridges seemed so just kind of weird to me. Like they just have such different energies as performers that, that I was like, what, what is this going to be? 
And I didn't even register when I put it on the board that it was a Michael Cimino movie. Like I didn't, I, <laughs> it never occurred to me. And it only occurred to me when we did the Heaven's Gate episode, like 10 weeks later, uh, yeah. that, that it was his directorial debut. And I was like, oh shit, we had two movies. And, and I think at that point in the podcast, we were like trying not to put two movies of the same director on the board within, you know, a certain time span. And lo and behold, we had, you know, two on there from basically the beginning of the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Un- unbeknownst to us, we had the two Chiminos and it, it just kind of snuck in there. Yeah. But I, I totally agree. You know, when you look at this, this cast, Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges, and it's just kind of surprising to me that this movie is just not really mentioned and talked about. Mm-hmm. Like we, you mentioned the taking of Pelham one, two, three, and maybe this is partly because of the remake that happened when we were, you know, alive and kicking and in high school and whatever. Uh, but that was a movie I had heard of at least. Mm-hmm. This is one that completely vanished. And I agree too. It does have an intriguing title, almost like a Smokey and the Bandit sort of right. thing, where it's just kind of like, what is going on here? It Tango is Tango and Cash. Yeah, Tango, the ants, the ants always draw us in. Stars, Starsky and Hutch, you know, a, there's a lot of them. <laughs> Deep Impact, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Munich. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, dude, that, <clears throat> that movie is so funny. But anyway, neither here nor there. Um I love all those reasons that you had for putting it on the board. It's just a good combination. Again, didn't know it was Chimino, so that was just kind of on accident in a way. And with the way we hit it in terms of actually discussing it this week, we have had a nice buffer of time since we last discussed Chimino. So who the fuck cares now that the you know things have unfolded as they have? But I like that. And also, I, I mean, for me, Jeff Bridges is one of those actors that when I picture him, I think of him... And how he looked in the mid-90s and beyond, you know, kind of graying and a little older. And I had not really seen many of his performances of when he was young. Mm -hmm. Like, it was surprising in a way to see him in Heaven's Gate when we covered that movie and to see him at that age. And to take it even a few years before with this one, Mm -hmm. I think it's super cool to see someone like as we have got introduced to him as an older person or, you know, middle-aged plus it's always fun to go back and see him when they were younger. And, and I think the nomination was definitely deserved, but we will, we will get into the specifics, you know, as, yeah. as we kind of hash through this movie. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about Bridges. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, this was just a complete shooting from the hip addition to the board. Maybe the most hip shooting of all of the, the nominations so far. Dude, I love a hip shot because I, I wanted to ask you this. Other than what you've outlined, meaning the stars and who's involved and the name jumped out to you, did you know anything about the plot of this movie before firing it up this week? Literally nothing. And it almost makes me want to just like slot in the clip of the show from when we put it on the board because I, I, I definitely like at that point I was just like, I have no idea, but it looks kind of fun. Yeah, dude, I, I will just say this now. We obviously don't really care too much about how listeners come to this show. If you're interested in checking this out, maybe you haven't seen the movie we're talking about. That's fine. It's your prerogative. And you know we're going to just spoil it and talk openly about the movie. 
I will say selfishly, this movie I think works super duper well if you don't really know where it's going. So I would recommend if people are vaguely interested in sort of uh, I don't even want to say what the genre is, but it's 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 a really cool movie and I think it's a blast if you don't know where it's going. So I'll just say that if you're listening and never don't know anything about it, consider pausing this and checking it out because I think it's a uh, it's a really cool movie to just watch unfold and, yeah. and not know where, what's going to happen. I'll give a second little disclaimer here. Um, so if that didn't sell you on watching it, I'll give you the, just a, a, a bl- I'll give you an idea of like what the vibe of this movie in it is. And it's, it's kind of like if you crossed a buddy cop movie with a heist movie. So mm-hmm. if you like those two types of, of movies, you're probably going to enjoy this one. Yes. Yes. So there's our sure. sales pitches. Nice. The, the oh, zero man. spoilers and the mild spoilers. <laughs> the mild spoilers. So with all that said, how did you feel about this movie, Drew? Not knowing much about it as we've covered, what was your first viewing experience like? And overall, what are your thoughts on it? I really enjoyed it. Um, it's not going to make like my best of the year list or anything like that. Uh, I think it, it's a flawed movie. I mean, you can definitely tell that this is Chimino's first outing as a director and as a solo writer of something. Because, uh, you know, he had a couple of writing credits before this. Um, you know, he worked with Clint Eastwood on Magnum Force right before this, co-writing that screenplay with John Milius, another dartboard movie, Night Alum. Um, but, yeah, it's I, it's it's a really fun movie. I enjoy spending time with these characters. I think the camaraderie between Eastwood and Bridges is great. Like the balance of their two energies really works. And it kind of makes me sad that we didn't get more of these kind of like buddy pictures with them because I think they, they really play off of each other well. Um, and actually it's funny, like Eastwood apparently in a few interviews have, has suggested that he felt he was getting upstaged by Jeff Bridges in this movie. So that's probably to, to blame for why uh, they didn't do more. Eastwood's just ego. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really fun movie. I think it's got some issues. It, it, you know, it's not a perfectly constructed movie in terms of like the twists and the turns of it feel pretty contrived at times it does rely a lot on coincidence and just happenstance to to drive the plot forward um but i just like spending time with these characters and i liked you know i like that it's kind of just a low stakes buddy movie like that like we don't get many of those these days and and i i kind of i like that it's just a movie that's shot in beautiful locations you know chimino just and I want to talk about this when we get to Chimino, but he just shoots the American West like no one else. It just looks so amazing. good. So um, good. Th- this movie looks brilliant. Uh, I think, yeah, I think, I think, you know, my, my major gripe with this movie is it takes a really long time to get into the actual bulk of the plot of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it kind of feels like it's not going anywhere for a long time, and I kind of wanted it to get to that faster. But at the end of the day, I had a really good good time with this movie, and you know, it's like, it's a you know, it's a it's a great kind of B movie. Like it's not going to blow your your mind, but it's gonna, you're going to have a good time while you're sitting there. How do you feel about it? Almost completely in lockstep with you in a way. Like I really really dug it. I think I might like it perhaps a little more than 
than you do. Mm-hmm. I think to me, maybe if we were going to kind of get lettery with it, maybe B plus, maybe even inching to A minus. There are, there are, there are some really great scenes in this movie that I just thought were so great, so funny. But I also agree, it's not perfect. Like it's not, it's not this whole drop everything masterpiece. I'm not going to be running around town telling everyone I know to to see it. But I will also not hesitate to recommend it because it's. I think it's very likable. It's very charming. It it's very it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it didn't exactly reinvent the wheel or anything. Not that a movie needs to, but you know, it wasn't perfect. And there were a couple of scenes I think that kind of bogged down. And the movie is about two hours. It's close to two hours. Mm-hmm. And I hate saying this, but I feel like it could lose ten minutes and be. Uh, even a little stronger. I agree. Um, like there's, 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 there are parts where it bogs down. I agree with you that it kind of takes a long time to get to what the eventual plot becomes. But then part of me also really likes that. I like that. You know, another movie that you know, Drew, I adore is this movie that Drew turned me on to called Sorcerer. Mm. And one of my favorite mm-hmm. movie, <clears throat> one of my favorite things about Sorcerer is that it's it's so patient to reveal to the audience what the plot actually is and it's like 45 minutes in there's this scene where you're like oh my god this is what this movie's gonna be i had no idea and this is sort of playing in that space a little and i i generally dig that but and this is a little contradictory but i also feel like it is a little too fatty and it could it could be trimmed a little yeah i think i i agree with your comparison to sorcerer in the the structure of it i think where sorcerer um retains my attention in a way that this movie was was struggling to is that sorcerer does a really good job of having these really great little sequences that keep your attention like that movie kicks off with such a bang that Mm -hmm. i feel like it pulls you in right away whereas this one you know it starts out with an exciting sequence don't get me wrong i enjoy the beginning of this movie but it doesn't it doesn't like knock your socks off the way Sorcerer does. So like I'm willing to go there with Sorcerer more than I am with this movie. Um, But, you know, thinking about it more, I I do think that like the, the first, you know, 45 to an hour of this movie, even though it is kind of meandery, it's really important in setting up the relationship between these two characters because it's not like, you know, the movie is, and, and we're in spoiler territory. So I'm, you know, I'm, Get out of here if you don't want that. Um, But, you know, the beginning of this movie, these two people don't know each other at all. So it's not like you're not getting a vibe for a history between these two characters. So you kind of need that first hour to to build that history. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it does a really good job of that when it's doing it. It's just I, I agree with you. I think just a little tighter. Yeah, just a little bit, a little bit. But again, maybe it's one of those things where if we remove that, we don't have enough time with characters together. So maybe we need it all. But from afar, it feels like we could lose about 10 minutes. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think it's just to circle back more to that kind of sorcerer comparison. And again, they're very different movies. But I always feel like sorcerer throws the audience in the deep end of the pool where we just were thrown into, like you said, a very impactful energetic opening but it's also super confusing because we're introduced to these four storylines 
We have no idea how they are going to connect. From each other. We are like lost in the wilderness for the first 15 minutes of that movie. Yeah. And it's and in a strange way, it's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, it's exhilarating in that movie yeah. to me. This movie, to me, it's more like we're thrown into the shallow end of the pool where it, it we're definitely thrown into it. And it like we get to see these characters meet each other and, and the story just kind of unfolds. But it's not super duper confusing. It's not it's not like we're like, where the fuck are we? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do kind of like it to that. You know, we talk a lot about movies that just start and how cool that is. And, mm-hmm. and this is definitely one of those. Like the movie does not kind of dance around or give you a ton of backstory right away. We get this scene of Jeff Bridges like stealing the car. And then we get the scene of George Kennedy trying to shoot Clint Eastwood in the church as Eastwood is preaching. And then our two main characters intersect and the movie just like starts. Mm -hmm. And we just don't really know much about where these people are coming from. We pick up the pieces along the way that we need to. And the movie just goes like, I think it's, I think it's really cool in that way. No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, like I said, like, even though I think it is a little meandery, like some of those early scenes are really charming. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, it's so weird. Like there, there's a scene where, Eastwood and Bridges have like a six pack of beer and they just go sit by the river, you know, uh, like next to that bridge and they're just drinking a beer and talking and and Bridges is starting to understand Eastwood's backstory. And I could have sat and watched that for an hour alone. Like, because it was just like, there's something about the vibe that those two people have on screen together that it's like, it's just it's just pleasant company, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun to to hang out with those characters. So I, I I don't mind it. It but but I do think that like in terms of the overall like thrust of the movie, it does kind of wallow yeah. a little too much in that. Yeah, and I feel like as is normally the case, even though I I will say that I think this movie could be trimmed a little. I'd rather have these scenes than not in a weird way. Like mm-hmm. it's bizarre. Cause I, I agree with you. I like spending time with these characters and we have two very different forms of charisma mm-hmm. of male charisma interacting. We have the funny envelope pushing kind of gesture type of guy. Yeah. yeah loud, uh, full of himself, overconfident, but super charming. And then we have coolest guy in the room. Now, you know, unflappable, doesn't get nervous sort of thing. So it's a really fun combination of different types of on-screen charisma, and they pair so well together. I and think. it's funny, when you break it down like that, it makes so much sense why why they would work as a, as a pair on screen. But for some reason on paper, when I look at those two names next to each other, I'm like, they shared a buddy picture like this? Like yeah. that's, it's so weird, but, but, but when you do like the, the mental math on it, like it, it makes sense. Well, and also when we see what Bridges is doing here, because I, uh, unlike you, I True. have never seen Starman. So, you know, as I kind of alluded well, no, to no, no, early I think, on, I think Starman is less the comparison for this movie. I think, um, a better comparison would be the last picture show, which was, mm-hmm. uh, Bridges first Oscar nomination and was one of his first, uh, film performances, um, from 71, 72, I can't remember, but it's the Peter Bogdanovich movie. Highly recommend anyone uh, go watch it, but Bridges has this, you know, just infectious charisma already mm. in that movie. And yeah. you can totally see where that's coming from in this one. 
Well, that's just cool because having not seen the last picture show, and it is something I'm considering putting on the board someday, because I am very interested in seeing this side of Bridges. And if that is sort of a companion piece to this, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued to explore it. Um, but I had never really seen him quite like this in terms of just the charm all the way cranked up. You know, people our age are probably closely associated to the big Lebowski bridges and the roles in that space. Grit. Yeah. True grit for sure. Or even like a movie that I absolutely love Arlington road. I think it's a really underrated, like nineties suspense movie. I don't even know if I've heard of that movie. Oh, dude, I would love to talk about that movie with you. It's him and Tim Robbins. And it would kind of Tim Robbins. You hate Tim Robbins. Can't Why? stand him as a performer. Can't stand. Is he too one note for you? I don't know. It's, I, mean, I think it's just holdover resentment for uh, the fact that he like ruined Mystic River, in my opinion, because that I love that book and, and he destroys that character. But whatever. Oh, really? I, I mean, you know me. I love I love me some Shawshank and therefore I love me some Tim Robbins. But yeah, I don't even um, like him in that. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's 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 fair. It's fair. Um but it's a really underrated suspense movie from that age, from that era, in my opinion. But, um, you know, like he's sort of playing in this like a concerned neighbor investigative space. He's not he's not bridges. Chari- you're saying. Bra- bridges. Yeah. He's not super charismatic at all. So mm-hmm. for me, when I got to see this side of him and I'm like, oh, it's, yeah, it's a no brainer to pair it with Clint Eastwood. You have off-the-wall charm and calm, cool, collected. Great, great combination. And uh, I'm like you, I wish they did some more stuff together. I kind of wish, I mean, it's not possible for there to be a sequel to this, really, due to the ending. But uh, Also I due wish... to Clint Eastwood being like 95. Oh, no, I meant like, you know, <laughs> three years after or oh, whatever. Sure, like sure, if sure. they did, if yeah, they yeah, did yeah. some sort of, yeah, no, that would not fly now. Um but, um, How funny would it be if they made a sequel to this, though, and it was just Clint Eastwood talking to Jeff Bridges' ghost the whole time? Yeah, or just uh, he's still riding shotgun dead in the car, and Eastwood's just <laughs> talking to him. <laughs> also, an interesting companion piece to last week, as we kind of touched on earlier, but we do see a slightly different shade of Clint Eastwood here, where, yes, of course, like, as is the case with a lot of people who are more so great movie stars than they are great actors, Clint Eastwood is super, super in that category of great movie star. So whenever we we see, like on the, in this film as opposed to last week's movie Dirty Harry, we see him on the other side of the law and we see a, a, a character who's different in a lot of ways but also very similar. So yeah. it's 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 fun seeing him play a flip side of the coin, but there are obviously a ton of commonalities to it as well. Yeah, I, I think it's a good place to start given that we just did Dirty Harry. Let's let's talk about Eastwood in this movie. Um I wanted to just say right out of the gates that as opposed to Dirty Harry, where I was kind of mixed on his performance and just was kind of like, eh, I I could take or leave it kind of thing. With this, I I really liked this performance. I I think Eastwood uh, in this movie, he just has so much more going on. And and I can, I I think it's a really great performance. You know, I think he does get outclassed a bit by Bridges in this. And, you know, it's, uh, I I think Bridges has more to do. But I I got the Clint Eastwood is a movie star uh, 
much more out of this than I did out of Dirty Harry. Like it, it made more sense to me. Yeah, I also prefer this performance, which is funny. Again, like Dirty Harry is the iconic Eastwood role. Everyone our age at least heard about it. We all know the famous lines. And yet here we have sort of a slumbering titan of a movie where it's like been slept on by our generation. And both of us prefer this performance. I agree. I think it's a little more complicated and it's a little more interesting in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, in this movie, I really started to notice how he moves on screen. Hmm. And I started getting intoxicated in that, especially on rewatch today. I'm like, my God, this guy... He doesn't walk. He just like glides. He kind of like just floats from one thing to the next. And I was trying to think back to how he moves in Dirty Harry. And I couldn't remember if that carried over or if he was doing something different physically in this. I think he was doing something different kind of. I mean, maybe. I I definitely, in the episode, uh, I definitely highlighted that I loved just his presence as a physical, Mm -hmm. you know, actor. Mm -hmm. And... Maybe it's not as much the glidiness of it, but in that movie, it's really like he's imposing. Like yes. he, he's like towering over everyone on screen with him, and the way that the way that he's framed in that movie just gives him so much power. Um, but I agree with you. In this movie, he's got a swagger to him that's a little bit, uh, you know, you know, it's it, he's. It's funny, like in this movie, like he is cool, calm and collected a lot of the same stuff that he is in Dirty Harry for sure. But he he also has a sentimental side to him in this, like like he has attachments and he has people that he cares about. And he, you know, he clearly is like. Like Jeff Bridges endears himself to to, to Eastwood, like he he really like seems to to be really fond of this kid that he stumbles across. And I think like he has more to play with in that way. So it just, it's a little bit more of a easy in for me, I guess, emotionally. And also thinking of the differences in the characters he's playing, like in dirty Harry, he's playing this sort of this attack dog, this hunter who Mm -hmm. just can't stop. And it's obsessive and he doesn't have time to really like chill out in any of his scenes. And mm-hmm. he still obviously portrays a certain amount of coolness and it infuses it into the character, but he's, he's always on the go. He's always kind of hunting this movie, even though he is on the go for like powder keg moments in the film, there are big chunks where he's not in a tremendous hurry at all. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, there's this one scene where it cuts to them and they're in like a pool hall and he's just like walking across the pool hall. And that's, those are the sort of scenes where I really started to watch him move. And when, when the camera had time to slow down and just show this guy, he's not in a moment of stress. He's just crossing a room. And that's when I really noticed like, Oh man, it's so cool to see this sort of super calm movement side to him. And, and like kind of, that, that sort of unflappable nature. Whereas in Dirty Harry, he is unflappable, but it's in a sort of an aggressive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was, was, was again, a lot more subtle and, and a lot cooler in a lot of ways. And I just liked that he was playing someone somewhat villainous or at least a, a gray character. And I mean, I would imagine we are all rooting for them to pull the heist off and we're rooting for Eastwood, but he is a thief at the end of the day. Um, so I don't know. I just thought it was was a great performance. And like you, I preferred it to last week's, which I dug too. But I, I just thought this was um, 
a really sweet performance. Did it? Does it change how you're seeing him on screen? You mentioned last week how you're not enamored with him as a movie star, but you also mentioned that you hadn't seen a ton of his work in yeah. front of the screen. Is this altering that at all? Yeah, it is. Um, it, it, it. I saw a shade of him that I hadn't seen before, and I think uh, it makes me more eager to to dig deeper into his his filmography. Um, it definitely made me want to go back and revisit the Sergio Leone westerns because um, I've only seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it was like I said in, in last week's episode, like years and years ago. I I remember basically nothing about it. Um, so. Yeah, it definitely definitely makes me want to go back and check more of his stuff out. Mm, that's cool, man. I also have only seen that one, and it, like you, years and years ago, and I have the vaguest of memories. So I would love for either that movie or others in that trilogy to get on the board someday. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gaining increased, appreci- increased appreciation for him as a movie star as well. And, yeah, really dug this one. Well, let's talk a little bit about Bridges now. I, I mean, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is the second time we've seen Bridges on the show, also in the other Chimino movie that we covered, Heaven's Gate. He didn't have a ton to do in that movie. Um, he has a lot more to chew on in this one, I would say. But uh, how'd you feel about him in this movie? My God, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Probably if I was just going to be forced to guess a top 10 of like performances that we've covered on this show so far. Like, oh, wow. That high. I was so charmed by him. Unreal. And just like little touches he would do, like the way his character laughs in this very sort of kind of goofy, playful way. And how how broad and massive his smile is. And I don't know. He's just infectious. Those and, deep blue eyes. I fall in love with him in these early movies of his. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, those those race car driver eyes or whatever that Clint Eastwood mentions when he talks about his blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he's just this, like, Woody the Woodpecker but not annoying type of rapscallion that, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I really liked it. And I think it's one of my favorites in that vein of, like, lovable troublemaker that's a really fine line to to walk when you think about it, where it's so easy for that character to be overly antagonistic or just annoying. Mm-hmm. And I generally don't like people like that in my in real life. Like they just kind of annoy me. But um, he walks that line so well, and he's just so damn charming. Like he just gets away with everything in this movie to me as a viewer. Like mm-hmm. even when he's pushing buttons when he really shouldn't. Like they're at gunpoint, they're at George Kennedy's gunpoint, and he's just still making jokes. And and like you know, obviously he should be at that time, but that's just who he is. That's just who the character is. Yeah, he's unflappable, so, but he's like, he, he is making. He's more than just unflappable. He's just yeah. like joking. Like everything's a joke to him. Is like yeah. all of life is just kind of a gag. It is all just one big gag. And I think specifically of that scene where he drops Clint Eastwood off at the bus station and is trying to talk him into saying, into staying. And they've swapped cars at this point. <laughs> he kind of hijacked that car and threw that couple out. And, Which uh, I, real quick though, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Eastwood has a great line in, in that hijacking scene where he says, I don't wish to be forward, but we'd like to exchange cars with you. So the faster you get out, the better it'll be for your ass. Yeah. Dude, just, <laughs> such, such, 
such a good Clint Eastwood line. And oh my God. And he also so follows that up with, yeah, but then he, he just kind of reveals the switchblade kind of from a conversational standpoint at the very end. Like mm-hmm. this voice jacks up. And then he follows that with another great line with a driving away. And Jeff Bridges is like looking through the clothes that are on a, on a, on, in the back of the seat. Clint Eastwood says something along the lines of, with those clothes in your mouth, you could be a big man. I just really, <laughs> really like that line too. But anyway, uh, Jeff Bridges drops Clint Eastwood off at the bus station to try and talk him into staying. And he's like, nah, kid, I got to get out of here. And he sees George Kennedy in the bus station. I think that could fall into your coincidence category mm-hmm. that you mentioned earlier. Um, but is something that I kind of like, like, because that does happen in life sometimes. Like, just this, this universe is just against you. But I, but I can also see that. I, it, it, um, it didn't bother me. But yeah, okay. I, I, I think it is in some ways a little bit of a flaw of the screenplay. Yeah, and there's another one that's a little more egregious for me that I'll, I'll cover in a second. But then he runs back. Clint Eastwood like dips out of the bus station and hops back in the car with Jeff Bridges, and the smile and chuckle that Jeff Bridges has on his face and like the noise he's making when Clint Eastwood gets back in the car is just like unbelievable to me. And it's just like, look at that, the joy on this person's face. And we'll get into Chimino more like in a little bit, but he, I heard they, they were kind of working on the Clint Eastwood type of schedule for this movie where it's like very few takes. So the fact Mm -hmm. that Jeff Bridges was consistently able to conjure this amount of charm with not a lot of takes to work with is super, super impressive. No. And by, and by Bridges own admission, like there were a lot of moments on this movie. Cause he talks about this in the interview that I mentioned uh, on the heaven's gate making of, but Bridges brings up that like there were times where he would go to Chimino and say, Hey, I've got an idea. Let me, let me like try one more. And Eastwood would just flat out say no. So like, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that this performance comes out of that, that scenario, you know? Um, but I, but you, you know, you mentioned the, the thing, uh, in the car with, with Bridges and just how, how charming he is there. I had a similar reaction to the scene where they get on the, um, what's the name of the boat that they get on? Oh, it had a, it the, had a good uh, name. Yeah. It was like the, Idaho? I think it's like the Idaho dream or something like that. Yeah, Idaho something. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, they they get on that boat and the scene of them, you know, leaving on that boat, Bridges like gets so like giddy excited because he sees a, a trout jump out of the water and he goes, oh man, steelhead. That's oh, so beautiful. Like, <laughs> and it's just like, it's so charming, dude. Just the, mm-hmm. the delivery of that line is great. Oh yeah, and and let's also let's talk about the way the charming and kind of rapscallion type of way he interacts with women in this film, like when he picks up that that girl Melody, mm-hmm. and he's like, "What's the matter? You don't like my face?" She's like, "Like you know, where are you, wherever you want, we're going wherever you want." Like I don't know, he's just he, like his charm comes through great in those scenes. Well, how about like, how about in the motel where he leaves with Melody, and as he's closing the door, he does that weird little like pirouette, like where he's like, yeah, like. Just staring. I don't know. He does something with his eyes and yeah. it's just like, it's so funny. It was like a Zoolander too long turn. Like it would have been shorter for him to turn the other way, but mm-hmm. it's just like this great, 
little moment. The movie is full of stuff like that. And I'm thinking, too, of the, the scene where he's driving that truck that he's borrowed from his coworkers at yeah. the landscaping thing. And he sees that girl on the motorcycle. Uh-huh. And she takes the hammer to the side of his thing. And he says something like, wait, wait, I love you. Wait. <laughs> like, she's like zooming off. You're crazy. I love yeah. you. <laughs> Come back. And his voice is like kind of cracking. Yeah. He's just so, it is a maelstrom of charm mm-hmm. in, in this movie. And he just won me over so quickly. And I kind of, I don't know. I, I feel like I almost forgot I was watching Jeff Bridges because I've never really seen another performance of his in this vein um so it's pretty remarkable to say that for me anyway he was pretty well camouflaged because he is such an iconic actor um but i kind of stopped i think i stopped noticing him a little bit in a really good way like i think the character was really coming alive on its own terms yeah no i completely agree love him in this movie love him in general i did also want to point out uh there's the scene where they're uh hitchhiking on the side of the road and Bridges like sits down in like a meditation pose that just felt like classic yes. Bridges to me. And that it was like early shades of the dude coming through. Yes. He just sits like crisscross legged on the side of the highway. Clint Eastwood is standing like kind of beside him a little bit. Uh-huh. And yeah, it was a very kind of Zen early dude moment, like you're saying, but also just a beautifully composed shot. And I was like, that's one of my favorite from the film. Mm-hmm. Just, just it's framed so fucking well, and we will get into Chimino, but he gets a lot of shit, and I think it's really unfair, because I think he does f- produce great frames and great moments a lot of times. He really does. Um, yeah. Any anything more to say on Bridges there? No, I mean, as we continue to talk about this movie, more gems of his performance will surface, I'm sure, because he's just he's just in the DNA of this flick. Uh, but no, I'm ready to move on and maybe talk some either Kennedy or Chimino. Let's talk Kennedy. because uh, Let's talk Kennedy! This is, an, as I mentioned, another repeat on Dartboard Movie Night. His, the last movie we saw him in, he was playing a version of himself in Modern <laughs> Romance yeah. uh, in a great little scene. But, uh, but yeah, how do you feel about George Kennedy in this movie? Dude, I love George Kennedy. Not just in this movie, but every time I've seen him, I've, I've loved him. I was first introduced to him, and we might have touched on this on the Modern Romance episode, but whatever. I was first introduced to him through Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm. I love him in that movie. I think he's, I mean, it's a little stagey and it's a little rigid, but I just, I love his energy on camera and his screen presence. And again, he just, he looks like a normal person. I love, love, love actors like that. And then as I got a little bit older, I became obsessed with The Naked Gun. And he's hilarious in that movie. And when I saw him playing himself in Modern Romance, I loved him there too. And I'm just like, wait a minute. I just always liked this guy. And I I will be shocked if he takes the crown. But he is in big dog contention for me because I just love him. I, I have a crush on him and this might be my favorite of his performances I've ever seen. I think it's like among his best and it's just perfectly balanced. It's really funny, but then it also turns can turn super menacing on a dime, mm-hmm. especially towards the end of the film when he really starts doing some like villainous negative behavior. It, it quickly becomes unfunny, but 
he, I think, is he's very aware of the type of energy that this story is going for. And by that, I mean it's a movie that shifts gears a lot. It changes genres halfway through the film. But it's mostly lighthearted, but at times it's, it's, it's deathly serious. Mm-hmm. And I think he is perfectly calibrated energy-wise and the amount of seriousness he's taking the role is all right for the energy of the movie. And I, I really think he's hilarious. I think he delivers the best line of the film which to me is go fuck a duck, which is the line itself is just okay. It's just an insult you hear. I'm kind of hoping it sees a bit of a revival, actually. I think I might start telling people to go fuck ducks here and there. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but it's it's the type of Report line. Report back on that one. Oh, I will. I will. I can't wait. I, <laughs> I can see peppering it around in the workplace, and we're going to see how it goes. But um, it's a line that is completely dependent on delivery. Mm-hmm. Some lines that we talk about are just unbelievably beautiful words or the way they're stitched together are so great. Uh, sometimes it's more of a performance thing and sometimes it's both. This one definitely is more of a performance one for me where I that agree. line, I don't know if you responded to it like I did, but it's also shot very well, but it's all delivery. The words on the page aren't worth that much. Go fuck a duck is just whatever. But he says it so great and they cut away from it at the perfect time mm-hmm. that it just works out to be probably my favorite line in the movie. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's my favorite line in the movie, but he does I, I'm with you that like the delivery is the reason that line works. In terms of my general feelings on on George Kennedy, I was I and I think we probably talked about this on Modern Romance, but I was completely unfamiliar with George Kennedy before that movie. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's interesting that like since then I've watched Cool Hand Luke and I've watched this and getting these these other shades of George Kennedy, it, it makes me understand that performance in Modern Romance a lot better. Um, I think I thought of him based on Modern Romance as more of a dramatic actor than he is. He's very comedic. He's like he... He, there's a, a knowing quality to a lot of his performances that 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 it just like, I don't know. I, I I really enjoy it. I didn't love him in Cool Hand Luke, but I really loved him here. Uh, oh, good. Good, good, good. I think I think he strikes the perfect balance, like you're saying, between the dark and and the funny, mm-hmm. um, and neither one gets detracted from by the other. You know, um, like I'm he's scary, but he is he is like you know, a dunce at the same time. It, it both work. Um, so, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed this performance. He had my favorite line in the movie, Ooh, which is boy. not the fuck a duck line, <laughs> but the way that he yells Geronimo as they dive off the cliff in the in car, the, in the car? I, 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 I guffawed at that line. Like it was just, it was so funny to me. Just the way he goes, Geronimo. And they like dive off. (laughs) Oh man. It's so good. God, he is, he is a great deliverer of words. And Geronimo is another one of those lines. Nothing special on the page. It's all delivery. And also as we're talking about how much we both love George Kennedy's performance in this, we also, I think, have to include in this a shout out to Jeffrey Lewis, who plays Eddie, Eddie Goody, yeah. his sort of like sidekick, because those two together 
are like doing the polar opposite of what Jeff Bridges it's like, and Clint Eastwood are doing. It's almost like, like I mean, minus the mutant aspect, it's like a Penn and Teller type partner. Yes, yes. I was thinking of, do you remember in, or how familiar are you with Looney Tunes? The old school Looney Tunes. familiar, yeah. I watched a lot when rem- I was a kid. Do you remember those two mobsters where one was like the short guy and the other one was the tall guy and the tall guy was like the goonish dumb character and the small guy would always tell him to shut up and like slap him and stuff like they are operating on like that sort of energy. And again, we have these two people who are really not charismatic in a traditional way. I mean, we obviously both are infatuated by Kennedy's performance, but nothing like what Clint Eastwood and and Bridges are doing. But um, I don't know. I just I thought they were so funny together and how he was constantly being told to shut up and getting shot down. And like, like, let's remember, too, that Geronimo line that you're talking about. I think right before that, Eddie is Eddie Goody says, like, what do we do now? And He's always asking George Kennedy, like, what are they going to do now? What oh, yeah. He's, now? he's just kind of along for the ride. And like, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's he's such a sympathetic character because you do feel like this guy just got roped in with the wrong crowd and he's a little mm-hmm. bit, he's a little bit of a, you know, you know, he's, he's, he's a very kind person, you know, and does not fit in with the, the typical kind of bank robber archetype. Um, and so you, you, you know, when he eventually is, is killed in the movie, it's, it's really tragic. Cause like, yeah. you, you kind of feel like, you know, it's almost like this, this, borderline like mentally challenged person is is being uh you know being killed and it's, and it's really sad um because he you know he's just kind of like yeah it's it's he's the sidekick who shouldn't be the sidekick kind of thing yeah you know? he's like a lost sheep or something and he's he shows intelligence in the movie but i also For get sure. what you're saying he just doesn't have much agency and i don't mean from a writing standpoint i mean that's no, no, true no. to the character mm-hmm. like he 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 can't make his own decisions, so he kind of gets gets siphoned into the situation, and he ends up getting ground out and spat out, which I completely agree with you is is, is tragic. Well, and Eastwood's character at one point, you know, like alludes to the fact that he's like he's simple, but he's a, he's a good guy, like kind of thing. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and and you you can see how like Eastwood would be broken up about him dying too, because he's like he's this guy that he's like he you know he's a good dude. He's a good guy. Like he doesn't yeah. deserve that. You know, and he gets thrown out of the vehicle in, in a heartless way. Um, you know, it's just it's tough to see that happen to the character. And I will say too, one of my biggest laughs in the movie to kind of go against what we're talking about because he does character does go in a sad direction. But when he, when George Kennedy accidentally socks him and he's got the two guns, he's like, "What do you want me to do? You want me to shoot him? You want me to shoot him now?" And then like George Kennedy charges Clint Eastwood and knocks Clint Eastwood into this guy and he's like up against the car and he's like pinned and he's making this weird face and he George Kennedy swings at Eastwood and misses and just totally socks his partner it's just like sums up the relationship mm-hmm. perfectly and is hilarious to me I thought yeah. that was just so so damn funny just catching strays left and yeah. right and I want to give a shout out to Chimino and his use of George Kennedy because when they arrive at the town and the film has totally shifted gears, we were in a rude move. We were in a road movie and now we're in a heist film and they have those bullshit jobs that they're just using to kind of blend into the community and gain mm-hmm. some money. 
And Eddie Goody gets the job as like the ice cream man. Mm-hmm. And he's in that tiny little car. I'm watching the movie for the first time. And I'm just like, God damn it. Why didn't you put Kennedy in that car? It would be so funny with his frame to have him in the car. And then they go and add him to the car in his suit, like boxed in. He's just like a gorilla in a phone booth. He's mm-hmm. so fucking funny in that frame. And I was like, God damn it. I love you, Chimino. What a great, you, like, just framing of that whole thing. Yeah. It looks great. It looks so damn funny. And so it's, it's a way of like the camera is doing the comedy in that bit. You know? Absolutely. And it's just, it's so great. And the scene, that scene of them together in that tiny little ice cream jalopy, which includes the fuck a duck line, but has others that are other really funny moments throughout the scene. It's just great. And I love the way Chimino uses Kennedy's physical presence, both in ominous and and kind of intimidating ways but also super comedic like him riding along in this tiny little ice cream cart Mm -hmm. just just so damn great but i'm really glad that you're kind of drinking the kool-aid on kennedy and starting to uh starting to like him more and he he will be one of those guys that i will always be on the lookout for as we see him because i think he was like a really big character actor from like the mid to late 60s into like the early late 80s mm-hmm. so i think we're going to be interacting with him a lot in the episodes to come and i will always be excited to see him yeah no i'm with you it's uh he's he's slowly endearing himself to me over the course of the the movies that we've seen so yeah love george kennedy you brought up uh michael chimino i think it's time we we dive into him because hell yeah dude man as i mentioned before like is there a director that makes the American, I guess I won't, I won't say West, but more like the mountain West look that good. Like Heaven's Gate and between Heaven's Gate and this movie, I don't know if there's another director on earth that has shot the American Rockies quite as beautifully as Chimino has. Mm -hmm. And I think that extends to just travel in general. He films human beings in motion and vehicles like through the mountains so damn well whether it's like a horse and buggy in heaven's gate or a train arriving in a mountain town mm-hmm. and then something like this where it's literally like a 70s muscle car tearing down the highway in front of some mountains like he shoots the mountains so so fucking well off the top of head i i agree with you i think he's the best that occurs to me but also he shoots the way people travel through them really well. It's like part and parcel in a way. Well, yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause like, do you remember that shot where it's like, it starts as just a shot of the mountains and then like the camera moves down and then it's a, a, a shot of all four of them in the car. Um, I don't, it, it just, it stuck out to me and, and it's exactly what you're saying where it's like, it's beautifully framed of the mountains. And if you just left it there, it would be a cool shot. But then he brings all the characters into it and it's like a one seamless shot And it's like the timing of that and how to like have this car traveling down the road and to get the perfect frame of both the mountains and then them in front of those mountains, like within the same shot. It's like that that's a technical level that, you know, people dream of having. Yeah, he's really good, really, really good. And he gets it's I really dislike I'm sure we touched touched on this in the Heaven's Gate episode, but I really dislike how that movie is talked about. Like Drew and I both really liked it. Um, definitely I, I does love not, it. It's, it. That might yeah. make my best of the year list. Holy shit. That's great. 
I mean, I, I, I really dug it too. And I think it's really unfair that, that movie is so uh, viciously maligned by people who have not seen it and don't know what it's about. And he's this movie just adds like gas to the conversation of, no, he's a really good director. And you look at the difference in approach, this being his first movie, his second movie wins a bunch of Academy Awards, including Best Picture. His second movie was The Deer Hunter. And then he goes on to make his big, massive, quote-unquote, blank check type of movie. And it, it fails at the box office and is ridiculed as a disaster. But what I find fascinating is we have in this movie, he's working with Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is tied onto this project as executive producer, or as at least a producer. Chimino is a first-time filmmaker, and he knows, he has heard tell anyway, of Eastwood's shooting style and how he likes one take, maybe two, and that's it. On to the next thing. He just likes to get through it. So Chimino adapts. Like This movie is happening because of Clint Eastwood, and he's, I'm sure, involved at least in the financing, but he's a really important component to this movie even existing no chimino literally had to ask eastwood permission to shoot more takes yeah to shoot more takes and he said it was always like i guess uh, i heard jeff bridges mentioned you kind of alluded to this too of like how he would ask chimino hey can we do another one and chimino would then ask eastwood and eastwood would sometimes be like yeah let the kid do another one or like no 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 we got we got it we can move on mm-hmm. and um and then you you kind of compare that sort of run and gun. We do one or two takes and that's it. And think of the quality they get in this movie. Like we're talking, we were talking earlier about Jeff Bridges' charm and George Kennedy's awesomeness and all these things. Like at no point am I thinking they probably could have used a different take there. Like everything works pretty much performance wise. Mm-hmm. Everyone's dialed in. Yeah. And that shows a real control on the director's part to, to get those performances all in line. Absolutely. And then we look at something like Heaven's Gate, which Jeff Bridges mentioned in an interview, how they would do like 50 takes sometimes or tons and tons. And it's just kind of cool seeing this director do these two very different approaches to these two very different movies. One is this massive sprawling epic and he's got a lot of budget to work with and he really wants to explore. Let's like let's find things let's do a lot of takes let's see where it goes and then we have this first one where he's kind of run and gun on a deadline and just getting it done and he's he's kind of equally effective i think in both kind of structures mm-hmm. and i think it's really commendable yeah it is uh he's clearly an extremely talented filmmaker and it makes me really sad that his his career kind of got derailed after heaven's gate cuz i i wish we I wish we had like 15 more of these to, to dig into, but you know, he never really, he never really was able to pull it together again after that. And and it's sad to think about that. We really only got like three truly great films from him. Um, yeah. But that being said, I mean, the arc of, you know, this to, to heaven's gate, all three of them are, are really great movies. Uh, the latter two being close to masterpiece territory for me. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm, I love this filmmaker and, and, uh, I'm, I'm going to be revisiting all of his movies again at, at very quickly, I would imagine. Dude, me too. Me too. And I am curious if they are obtainable. I don't know if I'll be putting them on the board, but I do want to see some of the stuff he made after Heaven's Gate because even though I think maybe his mojo was lost a little bit 
or whatever may have happened. I agree with you that he's great. And it bums me out that a lot of kind of film snobs or people like us, maybe our age, if they know anything about him, they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, he made Deer Hunter a great movie. But other than that, he sucked. It's just like so untrue. You watch his movies like he was a he made three great films, which is a lot more than a lot of people can say. And maybe what he made after isn't as bad as they say, because if people are trashing Heaven's Gate and then I sit down and watch it, I'm like, what the fuck are people talking about? This is a really cool movie. Like, who's to say the other ones don't fall into that category? So I'm really glad that we've now seen kind of three of his best known ones. And I will be looking for opportunities to see what he continued to do, because I think he's really, really good. Yeah. I mean, by all accounts, even by people who love Heaven's Gate, um, his his output after that was nowhere near on that level and uh just couldn't get it couldn't get it back again. But uh yeah, I'd be I'd be curious to watch maybe one or two just to to see if maybe I have a different opinion because I, I do really, really love uh him just as a filmmaker. I think it's it like there are very few filmmakers in history that have his level of craft with a camera, in my opinion. Yeah, dude, I agree. And I'm excited. I didn't know you felt that positively about Heaven's Gate. And I, if, if I knew then, I had forgotten. So I'm really glad that that we both really dug it. And I'm glad that you liked it as much as you do. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just I definitely remember liking it a lot when we recorded the episode. But as that movie has aged in my mind, I just like there are images in that movie that are going to stick with me forever. Like me too. I, it's, it's, it's not a perfect movie, but I, I, I think I can firmly state at this point that I wholeheartedly love, love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. People got to check it out. See the Blu-ray. I hate to be that guy, but see the, see it in the best quality you can. Cause it Seriously. is jaw droppingly gorgeous. And for me, it goes toe-to-toe in terms of visual splendor with the other Heavens movie that we covered this year, yeah. which is Days of Heaven. I agree. Like, it is, like, Heaven's Gate is stunning, and it's a crime that it is so derided. They both earn the usage of the word heaven to describe their visuals. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely perfectly said. I feel like we're kind of into, like, bullet pointy area, mm-hmm. but not in, like, the, I still have some stuff I want to hit, but I think yeah, we're we kind of through Yeah, we don't need to rush through, but, but, I mean, I, I think... You know, this is a movie that's like, there's not a ton to talk about it outside of just being like, I really like this performance. I love the the direction. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it's not a movie that is, a, it's not like a thinky movie, you know, mm-hmm. we're not, we're not going to sit here and just like ponder like the meaning behind this movie. Yes. It, it's yep. it's not that it's, it's a very just simple popcorn-y, you know, sit back and enjoy type of movie. And, and I think. I think it's okay to to talk about it in just those terms because it's not trying to be more than that. I mean, it's it's doing that really well, and I think it's doing a, a really deft job of balancing tones. Um, and I think like that's worth talking about. But you know, it, it's just it's just a great movie, man. It's just a yeah. fun block, you know, kind of popcorn movie. That's exactly right, dude. Popcorn, throw it on if you if you pay super close attention to it, you're really gonna enjoy it. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're chatting with your friends and and you miss a scene or two, this movie's still gonna hold it's up. Okay. It's just a, it's a really, I mean, it's it's good enough to warrant your complete attention. For it's sure. it's very strong, and every scene, almost every scene, is is worth being there, and is great. 
Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It's it's just more it's like leans a little more on the entertainment side, and there's nothing wrong with that. Just want to see a, a a road trip movie that turns into a bank heist movie, and two of the coolest guys you've ever seen hop in and out of cool muscle cars from the era, like uh, and just kick back and have fun and hear some some good dialogue and watch some funny gags and then get kicked in the balls a little bit towards the end and be like, oh geez, ooh. This isn't fun anymore. Like it's 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 got so much going for it. Yeah, it really really works on all those levels. And and uh, I want to go back to the scene that I mentioned earlier, uh, where Bridges and, and Eastwood are sitting by the river drinking beer and just kind of getting to know each other. I think that scene, the vibe of that scene, is kind of what encapsulates what I like about this movie. You know, because you've got number one, beautifully framed. You know, Chimino shooting the lights out. I think like the way that he, it, you know, it's a tracking shot of them kind of walking together through this park and then sitting down by the riverside and then, and just to watch him use a camera where it's like perfectly framed as they're walking and talking and then they sit down and then the frame is just absolutely gorgeous with this, this cool bridge behind them and the mountains and light the river shimmering yep. and, and the colors of that scene, like the way that like just everything is just popping. Um, it's just like, you know that that's Chimino's brilliance in in a nutshell, and the fact that you you know it just it gave me this feeling of like I really am enjoying hanging out with these people, and I think that's really what the movie is. If you want to just hang out with characters that you grow to love over the course of a movie, like this is a great one to just sit back and enjoy. Absolutely, and also like not only is he is Chimino so good at capturing these moments and, and the beauty of them. Like, let's just think about the beauty of sharing beer as a part of friendship. Like, it's just a, it's just a nice moment in life. And I mean, if that scene doesn't make you want to have a beer with a good buddy, like, it's just like, it's just a, it captures the joys of that type of moment. I, think. I mean, it just brought, like, it, yeah, Go ahead. yeah. Just like sitting on the bank of a river with a, either a new friend or an old friend, and just you want a beer, yeah. To get, and just sit down, and you chat. It's just like it's a wonderful type of moment, and it's like it's very well documented in this movie. I mean, you and I have done that a number of times, like for and, sure, and probably pretty close to where this movie was shot because we hung out in Montana together, and and sat by riversides and drank beer, and like I mean, that feeling, you you get that feeling from watching that scene, and it's yeah. some it's something intangible that I don't know how they do it, but. You just want to be there with those people. Yeah. It, it feels like the coolest place you could possibly hang out in that moment. Well, and we all know that the perfect amount of beer in a situation like that is a split six pack. It's three apiece. Three apiece is great. We, we see that in this film. It's referenced in Shawshank Redemption, the rooftop tar scene. Three beers apiece for my coworkers. Like, that's the best amount because that amount of alcohol doesn't overly alter who you are. But it's enough to hang out and have beer be part of the equation for like an hour and a half. And it's just, a, I don't know, it's the, a split six pack, I'm telling you. It's the perfect amount. No, I, I'm with you, man. And like the other thing is like it made me nostalgic for doing that and and not having a smartphone on my hip, you know? Mm, like dude. just being able to sit there and all you have in your hands is your beer and all you have to look at is that scenery. That that the scenery makes me feel the person so with. good when I can do that. Damn, dude. You know another thing that had me just be like, oh man, fuck smartphones, dude. 
was the scene leading up to the heist and they're doing all the they're doing all the planning and they're mm-hmm. talking about okay at 10:30 you're going to go into the bar and get changed you don't fuck around you're there till 11:30 then you get out and you do this and that and they're all just going off their watches and it just broke my heart thinking of how much more interesting times must have been before cell phones not for bank heists but just planning things mm-hmm. and I always think of that scene in Swingers where <clears throat> John Favreau's character is depressed and Vince Vaughn is leaving him an answering machine message trying to get him to come out. And he's just providing a list of places they might be. And uh, if we're not there, we'll probably be at the Derby Room. And if we're not there, we'll be here. We're not, And it's just like, it just saddens me because cell phones have always been a part of my adult life and like going out. And the idea of meeting someone at a time and not really being sure that they're going to be there. I don't know. There just seemed to be a little bit more adventure to life. And it's easy for me to romanticize and seeing that scene of like the watches ticking and you have to do this then and then, but there's no here text message coming in or do it now. Okay, go ahead. Like you just have to have faith that the other person at the other end of this equation is going to come through. And that is just, seems so much more fun than I think people were more reliable because of that probably I bet you're right because you couldn't just be like running late be there in 20 yeah, you, you didn't know. have a, a thing that you could conveniently give yourself an excuse anytime you're running behind or anything it's yeah I, I think like it's so funny because like when we first met each other I definitely was firmly on the side of like yeah technology is great we're progressing with like this is the natural evolution of things and like why wouldn't you want complete interconnectedness? That's that's awesome. But over the last, you know, 10 years or so that we've known each other, I've so much gravitated towards your side of that that pendulum. Uh and and yeah, it's just like it it's too much, man. We're we're overstimulated and and something like that is just so beautiful to me now and like I I I long for those kind of moments. So watching that in this movie definitely gave me that feeling of like, ah, man, that looks so great. Just yeah. to sit with those two guys, drink a beer and take in that scenery. It's, it's you awesome. That's it. I'm reigniting it. I have this idea. I'm bringing it back on days off when no one is paying me money to be connected to my phone. I'm going to trade it like a home phone. I'm going to leave it at the house, leave it plugged in and go about my business. And uh, yeah, I want to do that this weekend. So anyway, neither here nor there. Did, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but did you notice that they put silencers on revolvers in this movie? I did notice that, but I, I, like, I guess I don't. Fuck? What is that going to do? That's never. No, that just like would never be a thing. I mean, first of all, the use of silencers in popular, uh, you know, entertainment is completely false. They don't actually like mute the sound. They just suppress the the muzzle flash on a gun. Um, they're suppressors. They're not silencers. Um, so it's it's just funny to me that they're putting them on like the loudest gun in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if John Milius, other dartboard alum was involved, he wouldn't have let that slide. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if we had talked about it, but he mentioned how that's like, you know, we talked about Milius in the Conan episode and how he's such a man's man and loves his masculinity and his guns and stuff. He talked about, you know, breaking the Dirty Harry story. And he's like, that's why he uses a Colt 45 Magnum. That's a weapon that's used for hunting and he's a hunter and blah blah it's like how oh, fucking millie is classic by the way we'll cut this out but i meant to tell you 
I had a chance. Well, I didn't have a chance. I didn't know because it was a surprise. Francis Ford Coppola stopped off at the Plaza Theater and did a QA and a uh, about Stoker. His, oh, no way. <laughs> Wait, about, st- not, st- not oh, sorry, Stoker? sorry. Not Stoker, sorry. Dracula. Oh, Bram Stoker's it? Dracula. Bram yeah, Stoker's yeah, yeah. Dracula, yeah. yeah. And I saw like a clickbaity headline the next day of like, oh, Francis Ford Coppola surprised audiences at an Atlanta theater, did a Q&A about Dracula, blah, blah, That's blah. That's really cool. God damn it. Well, you should be on the lookout for other screenings of his movies then, because I know he's down in Atlanta right now shooting Megalopolis. He's filming, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I get, I'm glad it was a secret because it would have been a mob scene if people had known. I think it's really cool that he just surprised, stopped by. Yeah. Um, Keep an eye out for that that towering hunk, uh, Adam Driver as well, because he's in town. Oh, yeah. Maybe I will. I I just... uh, if I had the balls and I asked him a Q&A question, I'd be like, hey, did you and Milius ever patch it up? <laughs> but, are you guys okay? Or is the beef still running? Oh, man. Because uh, Bayside Mussolini is still one of the best insults I've ever heard in my life. Legitimately <laughs> in the top ten. <laughs> yeah, dude. Bayside Mussolini. So Amazing. funny. Anyway. I, yeah, I, I skipped over something that I should have brought up when we were talking more about uh, Kennedy, but another funny thing that he does, did you catch in the opening scene when he's chasing down uh, Clint Eastwood after he shoots at him in the, at the, in the uh, field the chapel, yep. chapel, when mm-hmm. he jumps over the fence, he makes a grunt sound that is one of the funniest, just physical oh, humor sounds I've ever heard. I missed it. And it's just another reason to rewatch this movie. He's like, wah, wah. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. And he just gets so winded as he's tearing off after Clint Eastwood in this uh-huh. field. That was another one of my favorite shots in the movie, by the way. There's one where it's just them running through the field. And it's like mm-hmm. a, the camera's just on sticks. Like It's just a beautiful shot. It's like, Looks great. That's right. We got Chimino. But I want to listen for that, uh, that grunt as he's vaulting the fence. It's so, so funny. So funny. I think we've touched on most of the things I wanted to get to with this movie. Uh, just to kind of circle it back about, um, as we kind of started this discussion about how fun it is to just watch. Like, I just love that you and neither of us knew where this movie was going to go. And I didn't know it as a heist movie or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I had seen actually a clip from this movie because... When we covered Dirty Harry last week, I was watching some of the special features that came with that Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And one of them was like a Clint Eastwood like retrospective. And mm. he was talking about, he mentioned Thunderbolt and Lightfoot briefly. And and I was like, la, 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 like trying to avert my eyes and not see. But thankfully, they only showed some clips of the beginning of like Eastwood jumping in the car and kind of interacting with Bridges for the first time. Mm-hmm. But that was it. So speaking of that scene though, real quick, uh, mm-hmm. Eastwood did the stunt of jumping in the car himself. I'm not surprised, dude, that guy, that guy is just so cool. And that's a, that's a ballsy stunt, dude. That car is hauling ass. Well, I don't think he's the one hanging on while oh, it's like okay. whipping around, but like the shot of him, like there's a shot from inside the car where mm-hmm. you can see his face and mm-hmm. I mean, that the car's moving quick. Like he's not like, <laughs> it's a dangerous stunt and he pulls yeah. it off and he looks great doing it. Yeah. He's just like, he is just so cool. But, um, and also that fits too. He has a history of like wanting to do his own stunts when he can. So that makes total sense that that was him. Uh, even if it was just for the interior shot looking out. Mm-hmm. But um, 
it was just so fun to be like, what is this movie? And then it starts. It's like, okay, these guys are kind of linking up. And okay, they're on the lam. And Eastwood's trying to kind of go off on his own, but he gets funneled back in. And then they get caught up to. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, we're in a heist movie now. It's just, it shifts gears so well, tonally and everything. And again, listeners out there, it's such a blast to just watch this movie just kind of unfold at your feet. Mm-hmm. And just not really know where it's going. I thought that was one of my favorite things about it. And I did also want to say too, um, in that Clint Eastwood retrospective that I mentioned, Chimino was in it, and he talked about one of his objectives when he signed on to the project. Is he pulled Bridges aside and was like, "Audiences have never seen Clint Eastwood laugh." So let's try to make him laugh. So he really wanted Bridges to like push the envelope and and actually like let's make Clint almost like break and laugh on screen because he's always been this super duper cool stoic guy. Unflappable. Unflappable. Yeah, but let's see him laugh. Let's see him flap. Yeah, let's see him flap. (laughs) Absolutely. And um, you can really see it in that um, that raccoon shit scene where. I was going to bring that up because I we 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 didn't talk about it, but that scene is great. Yes, and that's one of um, there's the cameras doing something kind of wonky there, where it's just like this push in on Clint Eastwood, and he's like smirking, and he like can't keep it contained. I think Chimino was so happy to be like, "We got him, we got him smiling, we got him laughing." Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that for me though, overall, was a scene I thought we that could be cut. That Maybe, but I just, I had so much fun with it. Like yeah. the, it felt like a bit out of like, oh brother, where art thou or something where they just mm-hmm. like stumble across this weird side character for a second. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like that scene. I, I wouldn't want to lose it. That, see, then that's, that's worth it staying. Cause that's the only scene I thought like, oh, you could lose that, but it meant something to somebody else. Keep it in. Keep it in. But yeah, I just, um, I'm really glad we got to this movie and I actually think it's going to be one that, um, I'm going to be, I'm going to want to revisit every couple of years. Like it's, it's just a cool, fun movie. It's yeah, unique. it's really fun. I think this is a movie that like, it'd be really fun to sit down with like, you know, a dad or a grandparent or something and like, you know, watch something from, from their time. You know, it's like, I don't know. Cause it's just, it's, it's, it's a movie that, uh, it's not, there's not a lot of meat on the bone, but the meat that's there is really, really fun and tasty. Yeah. It, it's succulent, good, good meat. Succulent. I hate that word. Yeah, it is probably kind of bad, and I like it, but it's it's pretty gross, I guess. Uh, no, no. I mean, it's it's evocative. It is that. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's tidy up here on yeah. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. I think we've we've covered pretty much everything we want to talk about it. But go watch it, people. It's worth a worth. It's worth a look. Definitely, definitely, and it's always an exciting time. We have to find a replacement for Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, and it is a Drew Clark week. Drew, do you have any contenders, any ideas, or do you have a confident pick? So I did not prepare at all, and uh, I did not, I did not come up with something ahead of time. So I'm going to be kind of shooting from the hip on this one. That's thematic. You In, shot for the hip on this one. Yeah, it, it's perfect. It, it, it's yeah. The, the, it works perfectly in that way. I'm going to go with something a little out of left field. You know, like this movie was kind of our our 
outlier on the board in terms of we had neither of us had any background whatsoever. It was just a complete shot in the dark. And I want to keep mm-hmm. in, in line with that. I, I hear you. I hear you. So we talked a little bit in the pre-show about Ryan Johnson. And he's a guy that I just have so much respect for. And I, you know, much in the same way that we continually put on movies that Paul Thomas Anderson has recommended I think I want to put a movie that Ryan Johnson has recommended. And I, and I, and I actually did that earlier in the podcast because modern romance was a recommendation from him him as well. Um, but having just seen, you know, glass onion a a month or two ago and really just enjoying these kind of whodunity things like white Lotus and stuff like we were talking about, I'm going to put on the movie that inspired knives out and, Glass Onion, and that Ryan Johnson continually references in in regards to those movies. The movie's called The Last of Sheila. Have you ever heard of it? I have only heard of it from Ryan Johnson interviews talking about, you know, inspirations or things that inspired Glass Onion and Knives Out. So uh, that's the only interaction I have with the film. And I love this choice. I think it's a great choice. Yeah, it's it. You know, I, I'm I'm the same way. The only thing I really know about it is that it takes place on a boat. Other than that, I, I just know that he keeps bringing this movie up as like his main inspiration for those movies. Outside of the Agatha Christie, you know, inspiration, obviously, this is not an Agatha Christie movie uh, or, or based on an Ag- Agatha Christie work. Um, but I did want to mention just as a, as a selling point for this movie for people, the weirdest writing partnership ever to write um, this movie. It's written by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins is an actor who played, uh, Norman Bates in Psycho. Wow. So those, it's so weird. Like the legend of, of Broadway, you know, music, musicals combined with Anthony Perkins to write this whodunit mystery movie insane so I I just I have to see this movie and I have to see what it's about yeah how can you not be intrigued I I love this choice Ryan Johnson as you mentioned is a director we love I'm sure his tastes are great I've been really enjoying him sort of spearheading the revival of whodunits and I would love to track down Uh, one of his movies that he recommends. I think that's a great choice. I think I think I want to establish the the thirteen spot as just our our flyer spot. Sure. What, whenever this one gets picked, I think whoever's picking that week needs to just throw on a weird ass choice that's just out of left field. Right. So you want you want thirteen is the from the hip slot. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I love that, dude. I, I like that a lot. All right, let's recap the board then before we throw this dart. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Akiru. Number three, M. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Pi. Number nine, Universal Soldier. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, The Last of Sheila. Number 14, The Karate Kid. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Tatan. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 12. The Terminator. Dude, whenever a new addition comes to the board and you're reading it off, I love listening for how does it sound? Mm-hmm. And Last of Sheila sounds great where it sits in the list at 13. We've got, we've a, got a block of four movies that all start with the. 
Yeah, the starting with I think the straight story is mm-hmm. the first one. Yeah, dude, I love it. Um, any you rooting for, or just throw this thing and let's see. I let it sail, man. I want to yeah, see dude. what it comes out of it. Trust in the dart. Let's see what we get, dude. Well, Drew, there is a first time for everything. Uh-oh. What's that? We have hit 13 again. Holy shit. Back to back. I must have mistaken. I think it's the only time we've had back to back same number. No, it has to be because there's definitely never been a time that we put something on the board and it went on the next week. Dude, it's crazy, man. This is so bizarre. We have back to back Clint Eastwood, right? So pretty close before that, we had back to back Sam Shepard. And now we have back to back 13s. Oh, my God. Dude, it's it's crazy. Insane. Uh, well, the dart works in mysterious ways. You gotta Very trust excited. it. I, I mean, just putting it on the board right now, I got really excited about it. So I'm actually Dude, really glad we're doing it. I'm feeling really good about it. And, you know, earlier in this show, I would have been kind of like worried about, oh, we're hitting 13 too many times or blah, blah, blah. First of all, it's only the second or third time we've ever hit it. Mm-hmm. And it's just we learned our lesson. We have we're still apologizing to Mark. You got to trust the dart. So I am very excited. I'm intrigued by this movie. And I love that it's the one up, one down. I think it's the first time it's ever happened. That's just crazy. Yeah, we're, we're poor Mark is still sitting in the rain just waiting on us to pick him up at the bus stop. But uh, We're yeah. heading there, Mac. We'll, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get there, there, buddy. There. We'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> but for now, number 13, The Last of Sheila. Just for a quick streaming check, 1973's The Last of Sheila is currently just pay to rent at time of recording. So... Super excited to get into it next week, man. I think it's going to be a great choice. I am too. That's going to do it this week for our episode on Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mac. Light up. Mm-hmm.